What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain jamie wheel co-author of the book stealing fire and founder of the Flow Genome Project stops by to give his opinion on the recent Burning Man experience, as well as open up about all of the things in his wild and crazy brain. You guys are going to love this. Enjoy. Jamie motherfucking wheel back again. The first podcast was so epic. And now we have an entire Burning Man to talk about, as well as everything else. Welcome back, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks. I, I've definitely been saving any thoughts on this topic until we got together. So stoked. I'm fucking so excited because yeah. we got to hang for a brief second yeah. out there on the playa. But give us your thoughts, man. <laughs> let's let's well, just just dive into this thing here. Yeah, for sure. So so I ended up uh, I had a string of str- string of talks about stealing fire on the playa, which was super fun. Yep. And the last one was on Friday at Red Lightning, which, as you know, is one of kind of the main camps on the Esplanade. And some of the folks that have, at least in my experience, I think in a lot of people's understanding, have done the most to bring the principles, ethos, and applications of Burning Man out into the real world. I would say those guys, along with Burners Without Borders, they're certainly some of the folks that we featured in the book. And they played an active role on the Dakota Pipeline stuff. They actually brought in a bunch of Lakota and other indigenous elders. And they host just generally an incredibly nice, tightly dialed camp with really conscious, deliberate, sort of actionable programming, mm-hmm. you know, versus just kind of the, the, the raging party side of it. Yep. And on that Friday afternoon, I found myself, you know, kind of off script as usual um, and, and, and basically just saying, hey, um, we're at the 50th anniversary of, of the Summer of Love. Right. And so there's all, you know, there's that museum exhibit in London and all those kind of right. things. And um, just thinking back to 1967, and that there was, in fact, uh, the diggers, I think, and Ken Kesey, some of those guys back in the day, they actually held a ceremony for the death of the hippie. And they actually paraded down Hate, you know, hate Ashbury. They paraded down the street with a casket and had a ceremonial burial of the hippie. Now, wait, were these people who were hippies who were burying the oh, yeah. hippie? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. And they basically said, hey, by the time it's got this mainstream, by it's, the it's, t- it's, it's done. done. Yeah. And so that's what I said on Friday at Burning Man. I was like, guys, I think, we should, I think this should be the last burn. I think we're. I think we have conducted this fucking experiment for thirty years. It's been radically awesome. It's uh-huh. created all kinds of novelty, and yet I am seeing signs everywhere around, particularly this year, yep. um, of effectively cultural slash moral decay. So that's like when you know you have a shirt like Ed Hardy or Affliction, and it's cool for a minute, and yeah. then everybody starts wearing it, and it just. Yeah. all the people who are, or, or, or are like, like it, yeah and you're like this doesn't mean what it used to anymore yeah i think gladwell did that in the tipping point with like sketchers or something right, right, the, right how right. they went to become the like the kids of you know the next the next generation uh-huh. and so so that to me is like that's the open inquiry and obviously it is a cliched meme in itself to say burning man is ruined i mean there's even you know there's funny ass posts that lots of people have put about it, like you know burning man was ruined when you know way but you know all the way back from every single year why and how it's ruined right. so i want to kind of inoculate against that there we go <laughs> that 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 somewhat you know tired trope and actually take a little bit more of like a sort of cultural anthropological assessment yeah like what are the trends what's so awesome about the place um and then also what might be shifting and potentially irrevocably which i don't think is a time for hand-wringing it's just a time for objective analysis and assessment is that cool yeah 100 okay. percent. and i i would say so what was interesting that I saw this year, even I've only been two years yep. and I could actually see a bit of a difference this year. And I think it started last year with uh-huh. the, the gluing of the doors of that one camp. Oh white, yeah. White, white ocean, light, white ocean yeah. camp. 
And as we were walking through, you know, we took the Playa shuttle and we had luggage and uh-huh. pretty girls in tow with suitcases. Yes, you and, did. I saw your guys' video. Colin just said, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so we're we're huffing, we're huffing our way, you know, yeah. through down the streets. And as you go from kind of the back streets uh-huh. towards the front camps, because we were in the yes. Playa Alchemist, which is that yep. giant pyramid, also hosted some cool talks and yes. some cool things. But that that is called a plug and play camp, which yeah. is a slur. Yeah, which sure. is like the dirtiest slur in yeah. Burning Man. So as we were walking, we were getting like jeers <gasps> from people. Oh no! As way. we're going through, so like, like with, with your roll on luggage, and yeah, that yeah, yeah, clearly just flew in. And yeah. pretty girls and the whole thing. Like, uh-huh. oh, you guys going to a plug and play? I bet, huh? Oh yeah, yeah you know, yeah. Like, <clears throat> and it was really interesting because the idea of Burning Man is radical inclusion. Yes, but. In, even in that context, they couldn't help but try to claim superiority of their ego over yes. these other, you know, change the rules of the game so that they were superior, so that us were inferior to them on a moral level because we were going to a plug and play and they were the real burners. Yes. Right. So creating division in, in, a, in a place that is supposed to be about radical inclusion and being completely unawares of the performative contradiction of that. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Absolutely. And 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 just just to set context, so you mentioned that was your second time, so you got to see a little bit of like, you know, one time, one data point compared to another data point. Yeah. What I didn't realize is that I hadn't actually truly been to a full week of Burning Man since 2014. Mm-hmm. So last year we flew in and out. We were there just there for three days. We didn't think we could go. And then friends just said, come crash with us. So we very much had a 72 hour just in and out window, which was just us in our little bubble with our closest friends. And so I didn't really get a, a, a sense of the broader culture and the dynamics. So right. I realized, oh, I'm actually looking at like a, um, you know, a three-year, four-year lag from when I last really took a bite of the apple. And on top of that, we took our 18-year-old son for his first time. So I was also looking at it from the lens of a parent, and I was also looking at it from the lens of, and not, not so much a parent like in a protective sense, but a parent in the sense of like, how, what is he getting from this? Mm-hmm. And is he seeing and experiencing all the things that made it so profoundly meaningful to his mother and father from back in the day. So first of all, to give like full props, um, and the reason we wrote about it in Stealing Fire, the reason we've continued to go back and had it be a part of our life and extend part of that community is, um, I, I'm, you know, I think without reservation could say, I think it's one of the more powerful, large scale transformative rituals on the planet in this era. No fucking doubt. And it still you was know? for me this year, despite exactly. the faults. Exactly. It still was. And, 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 you know, um, from the first time that I went to the times that Julie and I went, it has been absolutely response, like central in the sort of next most interesting chapters of our personal and developmental and imaginal creative magical lives. Yep. So in, in like an, you know, an, uh, an irreducible debt of gratitude to the place and the process. Yep. Um, now that said, I did, I was just on Amazon cause there, there was a, and so I, and I think this is relevant cause we were at some of the dead shows with John Mayer this summer mm-hmm. and got to hang out backstage and talk to those guys and, and sort of get an experience of that and realize, and, and again, took our son. He was just 10 to 18. We're like, Hey buddy, <laughs> come and check yeah. out. Like here, like this is where we began. Yeah. And then, and then the, at the end of the summer was Burning Man. So it was kind of like a neat bookend of transformative psychedelic culture over the last 50 years. So it was really cool to get into experience that. And, and I realized like we were, we only caught the tag end of live Grateful Dead shows back in the day, you know, and, and arguably when that whole scene was in total decline, yeah. you know, basically late eighties, early nineties, Jerry was in and out of hospital comas and then ultimately kicking it. Yeah. Right. And yet to me, the hands down most righteous live musical experience I've ever had. And I, I think probably will ever have was like fall 1991, Jerry Garcia band shows and, and that live streaming album, which if anybody's interested is now available on Amazon. It's been out of print for years yeah. is the, ba- he plays Dylan tunes. He plays Motown tunes. He's got an incredible band, like wailing, like Hammond B3, like three gorgeous gospel singer backup. Like it just fucking slays. And, and and that was at the arguable back end decline. But it's still so damn good. <laughs> and it was, yeah, and it was the best. Ex- and I would, I would actually hold that album up against, you know, the classic, you know, Grateful Dead 1977 Cornell sure. shows. Like all, I would say that was, that was another high point. So the question is not, can Burning Man still deliver a transformative experience? The answer is hell yes. Yep. The question is just, what's its hit rate? Yeah, and how many times you have to go and wade through some of the other stuff versus just the absolute walk off, bases loaded Grand Slam? Yeah, here's so here's a couple of my thoughts. One thought is one thing that I still know is is cool is the fact that 
the majority of the people there are radically, radically different. Like there's uh-huh. a certain buy-in level for most of the people. Like yes. people that you would normally see, like there's a couple guys, and I mentioned this on a podcast before, huge guys, 6, 10, 300, looks like they spent all day in the gym just oh, taking okay. steroids. Yeah. And, and hanging out at district. Yeah. And, they're, yeah, and they're out <laughs> dancing. And then normally that would be like, oh man, that guy's probably a meathead, like probably uh-huh. steer clear of that guy. Yeah. But you know, I gave this dude a puff of mapacho and he looks at me and he smiles and he gives me a big old hug, yeah. like just a big old bear hug from the giant techno Viking guy. Nice, and like that's, Viking. And like that was, that's the pleasant surprise you see with some people. So that yes. gives me hope. Yep. The other thing is still no trash on the ground, yes. which is like you go to all these other festivals, it's just the fuck, people just shit everywhere oh mm-hmm. done with this cigarette done with this yeah blah, blah blah just throwing stuff yes still the playa is clean yep you know so there's like still some buy-in now what gives me what gives me real concern which i think is a sign of the times in the world we go to the man burn right and everybody's uh-huh. sitting down and uh-huh. some people decide they want to stand <gasps> oh up. you were part of that drama too we had yes. some of that yes. yeah so some people decide they want to stand up yeah. and then so the people behind them start yelling at the people in the front and yeah. that makes the people in the front who are standing angry this one guy had a sciatic issue he's like i gotta say i'm not fucking standing and then other people are going it's your burn man do what you want and then uh-huh. other people are like sit down sit down yes and then people in the back start throwing stuff at the people standing up all of this happening right before the man is supposed to burn yes right and it's just conflict and we're stuck in the middle as stuff's flying over our head like objects are trying to hit the people standing up people are chanting and yelling yes and finally i was like let's just fucking go like we were all opened up and on the right medicines and Mm -hmm. like we're out of here yeah and then we start walking away and everybody's like oh sorry man you know sorry about those guys in front and i wanted to be like no it's not the fucking guys in front (laughs) it's you assholes throwing stuff at the guys in front yeah and the guys in front, yeah, but it's, it's the whole, whole, it's the whole undifferentiated thing. shit show of it. Yeah. yeah, and that's I think one of the ultimate ultimate challenges is like, how do we deal with this kind of division and conflict that yes. continues to arise? And even in Burning Man, you know, it's still there. The yeah. conflict between the plug and plays and the the burner earned the earned rolled in the dust and sleep in a fucking mud cocoon. I don't know like yeah. what you got to do to meet their criteria of morality. And then the people who want to sit down while some want to stand and they can't yes. come to terms. Like that's yeah. an interesting thing. And fundamentally, yeah, kind of like <coughs> um, sort of fierce, rugged individualism, you know, is the nominal outside of it, but it's fundamentally narcissistic identity politics. Like no one's the boss of me. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and I'm going to shut this down. And, and yeah, I mean, so I, w- I was just kind of loosely thinking, I mean, this is off the top of my head, but like the things that moved me so profoundly when I first got to experience basically the entire thing, the city, the culture, the experience were, were several. Um, one was obviously the beautiful art installations and the true kind of like Dr. Susie and magic. In fact, we just, we just went and watched Close Encounters uh, in this movie theater again because it's like the 40th oh, wow. anniversary and they're actually, it's out and playing right now. So we took our kids and there's that opening scene in the crazy ass desert and like those four like Baba black sheep, um, wildcats that were lost in the Bermuda Triangle in World War II show up in the desert. And there's mm-hmm. also a ship that shows up in the desert. And I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. And, and even just the cra- crazy multicolored UFOs. And I was, I was kind of elbowing, you know, my son. I was like, dude, so much of the inspiration for the playa at night. I think came from Close Encounters. Like, like there was that that amazing exhibit. I think it was probably 2011 or maybe 2012, where there was the dock and then the half sunken ship in the playa that looked as if it had been buried yeah. over time. Yeah. And 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 again, obviously, all the colors and the LED on the art cars, that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, what an interesting legacy. Yeah. Of that kind of like childhood delight for many of the artists. And so for me, there, there were a couple of markers I've been tracking. One was the degree of truly awe-inspiring large-scale art. And clear, there was the tree of Tanea, that that beautiful LED lit tree. Which Two was, trees, which were amazing. There was the resonant, the heart resonance, the Illumina one. Yeah, and that was that, that was Mayan warrior. That was that was the Mexico City crew who yeah. also built our Flow Dojo stuff for Flow Camp. So it was a really yeah. neat thing to see those guys. Um, and they had biometrics. They had hot math, mm-hmm. HRV involved in it, and that was super super cool. Um, but in general, I would say the truly like massive scale, yeah, jaw droppers. I saw less of. And I, agree I, with that. I was just curious about that. I mean, huh, what's, what are the, what are the fundamentally socioeconomics 
of the large-scale art installations. How have they been done in the past? We, you know, full cop, camped out on K Street, so like the row of fortress camps. We were like, uh, uh, we we camped with dear friends that are part of Robot Heart and like Mai Tai and that mm-hmm. kind of kite surfing and VC scene. So we ended up against our better judgment, camping out in you know basically plug and play land. Yeah, and that entire street is just nothing but thirty-foot RVs. 18 wheelers, everything's walled off, right? And you go down and, you know, Guy Le Liberté, the founder of Cirque du Soleil's camp, Red Moon, like it was just yeah, all of that, that right? Yeah. It was all that. And so we experienced far less of the, our camp is open and delightful. It was our camp is utilitarian and bare bones or the cool shit is walled off and for wristband holders only. Right. So there was a lot less of the delight, the stumble upon delight. And, and then I was also, and the architecture for me. So like the architecture... I mean, you, obviously, it's, it's a loser's game to pick when was there a cultural high point. But as, as like, an, a, like a, as a cultural anthropologist, like which was my academic training, I can't help but see it in those lines. I would, say, depending on what you want, if you talk to Android Jones, he would say, I think I've heard, you know, in conversations, he's been like, yeah, I think 2007 was kind of peak of the freshness of the both musical scene, the kind of leather and feather art design culture, the clothing aesthetic, right? And but then certainly by 2011, 2012, there was some, what I found just, jaw-droppingly beautiful post-apocalyptic architecture. It involved a lot of the tensile structures, a lot of the bamboo, a lot of those things to the point where I remember the first year, the first year I went was I think 2011. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking red lightning's rad. It's totally down. They have a bunch of TPs and they have beautiful tensile structures, but I didn't even rank those as the top as far as interesting, truly innovative um, architecture. And at the time that was like fractal nation. It was sacred spaces. There were a handful of folks that were just progressing what, kind of portable but gorgeous structures do we live in and dwell in yeah in a celebratory space and i saw much less of that and it's gone much more utilitarian um and you sort of see and 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 to your point about white ocean i was like well what are the major camps because it used to be that the major camps were reflecting year-round communities of burners in san francisco in la some to some extent even in new york other other major hotbeds and there was a sometimes they had patrons invariably I mean, they always have since, since the Medici's, right? Art has always had patronage. Um, but there was also an awful lot of community sourcing. And what I noticed was you could drive by a lot of the big-ass sound camps. And A, the sound camps weren't as, weren't as dialed out. Like, they Definitely were not. often just big fucking sound stacks onto open desert versus here's an entryway you move through an entry arch you come into a place that's a space that's bounded for community etc and so i saw what felt like more dollars thrown at uh, an, an event or an installation or a sound camp and less vibrant meat on the bones yeah. as far as a community around that specific camp or vibe so that was one i was like huh are we are we shifting from the era of crowdsourced community art installations exhibits gifting in the form of the things they build and what they invite people into the degree of permissibility for me to enter just as a regular punter off the street like am i allowed in here or not right right and then also um a number of those sound camps like conspicuously empty at peak times which to me would suggest and it's just like a dj playing like emo deep house you know yeah. just like weird non-danceable sounds right, right. <laughs> you know and you're like surprisingly <laughs> amount of, surprising amount of that yeah we got to dance like actually spontaneously shake our asses for literally seven minutes and it was at a sunrise yeah <laughs> at, the, at the tree at the tree of tenere and, it, and i don't know the name of this particular art car but there was some dude playing some cumbia like badass shit uh-huh. and it was literally as the sun was coming up i was like oh hey we're gonna have some church like fuck yes here's our son we get to actually show him this is our community and this is, we dance ourselves into recognition of ourselves and each other and then as the sun came up you suddenly looked around they then for some reason inexplicably he stopped playing danceable shit started playing more kind of weird sounds, you know, non-danceable yeah, yeah, yeah. sounds. And then you kind of look around and you start seeing people all kind of jagged out and people taking bumps of K or doing whatever they were doing. And it, and it suddenly went to the land of hungry ghosts in an instant. And, 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 and Julia, my wife was just like, oh, look, look what just happened. And I suddenly looked around and I was like, oops, you know, yeah, that was a was little inter- window. It was interesting because we went with such a crew and our tribe, uh-huh. our tribe, I think the environment, the pressure, the whole mm-hmm. freedom of the whole thing, it brought our group so tight together that yes. we were almost in our own yes. bubble of closeness. Yep. That people would come in and out like you guys are calling. Yeah. Some other people would come inside the bubble, but that bubble was fucking magic. That's awesome. And I think that's the, I think that's really the way to now navigate Burning Man is to mm-hmm. create this 
thing. And that happened a little bit last year too, where the, the people that you're with, even the time you spend in the RV becomes magic yes. because there's absolutely not a, not fuck all to do. You have no reception, yes. total freedom, access to everything, no itinerary. Yeah. And that kind of, that specialness. But yeah, there's, the vibe is, the, the vibe is definitely, you know, it didn't feel like one group this yes. time. It didn't feel like Burning Man was together. There was, there's a whole variety of things. And I think also the, the medicine is, it's so weirdly accessible now, like DMT mm -hmm. vape pens Oof. everywhere. Yes. People going off. I mean, you're just smelling, you're just dancing. I mean, I'm dancing to Diplo yeah. and smelling <laughs> and smelling DMT vape pens. And yes. I'm like, Diplo, DMT, like, yeah, probably it, not my choice yes. of, you know, I don't want to be judgy or anything, but yes. like maybe not the right spot yeah. for yes. that, you know? And, yep. But nonetheless, like, it's it's a it's just a weird it's a weird fucking thing and i think it'll mm -hmm. continue and maybe it maybe it'll get reloaded you know maybe like some of the old ideas you know all right it's not going to be that but maybe it'll reload with a new thing that'll be rad yeah and i mean i didn't get to go because we were running a flow camp our intention was to also go to the oregon eclipse right which was the gathering of all the offshoot transformational festivals yeah. like all clearly carrying burning man dna into the varying festival everything from envision to symbiosis to you know all those at shambhala all those others and i hope that it was beautiful and i don't know whether that took some of the wind out of the sails of burning man i wasn't sure i was like either this is going to be an absolutely epic year because everyone's just going to roll the party the music yeah. the art the architecture from one to the other or people have shot their wads right in oregon and burning man will be a little on kind of like you know on the low tide mark um but to your point, like, yeah, we had, there were people loosely affiliated with our camp. They were just ro roaming around with DMT pens and nitrous canisters and just casually kind of huffing and puffing through the day. And you're sort of <laughs> like, what the fuck? What are you, you're neither getting to the interesting places no. nor letting your body recharge and reload for another true peak experience. So it felt like people were just kind of on perma trip seeking. Yeah. And to your point about like, close like core pods roaming but not necessarily fully integrated um i felt like there was two kind of markers of that one was the temple to me was the least focused temple i've seen it in and, it, and it, weirdly it was i did i only read this after the fact but it was provided by pg and e like all the wood it looked like basically a jenga block tower that was like three quarters done mm -hmm. and it was small it wasn't profoundly lit so it wasn't like a, a waypoint during the nighttime, it wasn't like, oh, I orient sure. myself literally and metaphysically off that. Um, so that was, and, and there was no center inside the temple. It was just a patch of dirt. And in every other year, there's been something profound in the middle of the temple that focuses and, and, and one year there was like this suspending giant like stone thing that can, kind of there came down to a man, point. There was oddly, but not Yeah, at the, not and then the, the man temple. was in a fucking cage. Like he was in a, he was in a house. It was really curious <laughs> because, right? I mean, to me, like that's another thing is like, Burning Man gets, you know, generally categorized as this kind of like raucous pagan festival. And- Kind of so, right. You know, <laughs> yeah, clearly. But, but, but I also think there's a massively like crypto Christian element yeah. to it which is like the sacrificial king yeah. and he presides over the entire thing all week he's literally there watching you no matter where you are you everybody orients off him and and then comes the bloodlust bring us barabbas right there's the moment come saturday night that everyone's like burn motherfucker burn like we want to see you go down and there is that you know and then always he kind of raises his arms you know before the fire comes on mm -hmm. uh, which was a weird pump fake because he did it this year like 15 minutes before anything else fucking happened which i yeah. thought was super yeah, yeah, curious yeah, yeah. Um, but my sense was, is that the temple was no longer, at least for me, me and us, who was like, was no longer the place of like hushed awe and reverence. It still had that. It yes. Still had I that guarantee you that it's happened like, for folks. I yeah. just, I mean, maybe it was just that I fell in love with some prior experiences mm -hmm. and didn't, sure. didn't have it this time. Um, but to me on a arc, like the sort of spiritual architecture of the place, I noticed that that was potentially absent day one. And then I also noticed the lack of cohesion you talked about yeah. throughout. And then, and then, so the other side of it would be, I also noticed a fuck ton of people on e-bikes. 
<laughs> right oh, yeah. and 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 i would say probably 90 percent of the folks on eBay. and by the way we rode some colin had a couple of like specialized full-on stump jumper badass e-bikes which were yeah. rad they were the coolest like you want to talk about like a technologically enabled psychedelic upgrade try ripping around at 30 miles an hour <laughs> right <laughs> absolutely blowing and going at 3 a.m and the funny thing about that was i mean this is just a fun tangent but <clears throat> it actually it, it was it was a psychedelic upgrade. You had to change your frame rate of visual processing because you're moving so much faster than you normally were pedaling that now you're like seeing the playa in in like chunks of like a quarter mile. Yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. and and if people are trying to follow you, you can no longer actually track who's behind you because you're moving so fast. It was like suddenly hopping in an F-16 and ripping around, <laughs> which was absolutely one of the highlights. But I would say 90% of the people on e-bikes, they weren't their e-bikes. They were provided as stables and plug and play cams. Yeah. And so when we saw people roaming up and down the streets, there was far less of the, um, hey, how are you? Anyone I talk to is going to be the subject of a beautiful human encounter. And more like heads down, I, me, mine, we're going to go get ours. And, and that was a, I think, subtle but fairly pronounced watershed I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's the, I think it's a sign of the times. I think yeah. right now everything has been, everything is getting divided. And I think it's not, you can't just blame the right. You got to look at the left too. You got to look at not only are we saying, we're not saying everything, everybody is one. We're saying mm -hmm. even our genders, we got to divide it into 28 different fucking categories. If yeah. you get the category wrong in New York, Shame on you. you're going to get $200,000 fine or you're going to get yeah. shamed or you're going to get do this. You can't wear anybody else's shit. Yeah. You can't do anything. It's like mine, 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 mine. Feathers, nope, can't do that. Uh, dreadlocks, nope, can't do that. Oh, yeah. are, you, are you listening to reggae? Are we even allowed to listen to reggae now? Yes. Or like, yep. what the fuck can we do and what we can't do? Who is this? You know, are you a... Him, her, he, z, z, mm -hmm. whatever. It's all nonsense because yeah. we're all fucking one. Yes. And we've gone opposite of that and fractured into a billion different things so that our ego can be superior to every other little differentiation that in we my make. wounding. In my wounding. And and I mean it's so funny that this is up for you too, because yeah. this is like literally all I've been thinking about for the last five weeks. And I'm actually gonna end up working it into my next book because I think it's so pernicious and problematic, which is that the the identity politics of the alt-left mm -hmm. surrounding fundamentally victimization mm -hmm. and fundamentally the primacy of my pain and my process, right? Trumping anything bigger that we might all bow down to and or step into, um, I think is, is antithetical to the path of ecstasis, right? I mean, so we, we wrote about it then stealing five. We said, hey, by the way, you can have these peak experiences and they seem to do two things. One is they seem to, you know, it's it's, it's like almost famous, you know, when, he, when he's tripping balls and he's standing up on the roof and he's like, I am a golden God, <laughs> yeah, I'm on yeah. drugs, right? Yeah. So, so there's that dichotomy, which is like on the one hand, we realize, oh, we're golden gods, awesome. And oh, by the way, we could use a little work. And here's all yeah. the places I'm still banged up, broken, wounded. And, and in letting go of our egoic, personal stories of wounding, get letting go of the separateness, connecting in communitas, we realize, oh, all those stories are no longer needed. My mommy might not have loved me enough. My dad might've been an abusive alcoholic. I might've had a really hard time in school because I was ADD or just like, whatever, right? And my ancestors might've got fucked by another group of exactly, ancestors. Exactly, as they know? always did. Yep. And yet I've found my way by hook, crook, or the grace of God into this state of wholeness, amen. Therefore, and and, and quite often the experience of ecstasis means like I cannot second guess any of the pain on my path that got me to this amazing place. Therefore, like if I got to this place via my road of wounding, then everything on my road is redeemed. 100%. Right? And, and, it and formed you. Exactly. So, so I can't second guess anything. And if, and if what got me here included pain and suffering, but it, it got me here, then it is all rendered holy. And you've got people on the doorstep of that ecstatic experience now saying, no, fuck no, I want a full accounting and I want what's mine. Yeah. And it's, it's a little bit like Sally and Charlie Brown. I think it's, I think it's the Christmas special I th or maybe it's the Halloween where she's like, I just want what's mine. I just want my fair share. I just want what's coming to me, right? And it's like, fuck you. No, you don't. You know, you, you self-indulgent little shit, <laughs> you know, because, because now we are getting that acquisitive egoic seeking of the transcendent state, which yeah. used to just obliterate everybody and leave us dancing with our brothers and sisters. And is now much more, I mean, I, God, we were at one art installation 
And there was this couple, poor bastards that they were. And it was a hot ass woman and a weedy ass guy. So you just had to assume, I mean, and again, people can flame me in the comments if they want, but I, my assumption would be dude makes bank and he, right. And he basically is renting a hot girlfriend and because <laughs> he clearly is not an alpha. He wasn't, right. I mean, and, and in the sort of Ayn Randian sense, right. the objectivism, like he was not the alpha to her hottie alpha. Yep. And yet they had these ridiculously complicated outfits, probably $10,000 each, like with feathers, it was all white and they had LEDs baked in and clearly they they didn't make them. They did not pick that shit up on Etsy. It was mm -hmm. probably waiting in their wardrobe in their RV, right? But what they were doing is they were taking selfies of themselves. Yeah. And they were clearly not dusty, clearly not in the experience, and they didn't know what to fucking do with themselves. Like they'd acquired all the trinkets and signs and signifiers of transformational culture and yet had just rented it and were lost. Yeah. And I like almost wanted to give them the hug or a bitch slap. I couldn't <clears> figure out which, you know? They're all hoarding, they're hoarding currency, which is what yeah. the ego likes to do, either actual monetary currency or social currency, which yes. they think they can get through likes on Instagram and these things. It's this hunger that will never be subsided, never yes. be filled, because ultimately it is a ghost. You talk about hungry the hungry ghost. ghost. The yeah. ego is the ultimate ghost. It's yeah. not really real. The real self inside us is something that has everything. The ego is trying to claim that, trying to be that, but is ultimately a fiction yeah you know i this identity that we've created that we're constantly trying to figure out who am i who am i your life your god your everything your love yeah. you know and if you who if you go looking for yourself you're just going to find somebody looking for yourself exactly and, you and and that same archetype of that couple we saw played out on several sunrises yeah. Like literally, whether again, what you know, whatever the varying art cars, the robot heart cliche. I mean, literally, someone rode past me and asked, "Do you know which way robot heart is?" And I honestly got thought it was a fucking joke. Like, where's Daft Punk playing? I thought it was like, and I was like, "Are you serious? Like, you like you're really asking me that at sunrise?" But we saw again conspicuously clean, but cost, but fabulously costumed folks wandering through the crowds with a fucking photographer in tow. And they clearly were not models. This was not a Vogue shoot. This wasn't right. for W. And they literally had brought along someone to document. And then, of course, they were like clearly seeking, can I get in the right spot in the crowd? And then they'd turn on like, oh, pretending look at us, we're pretending fun. we're having fun to capture, <laughs> to capture the Insta snap. And I thought, oh, fuck, that's what this has come to. So as much as anything else, what I noticed, and I mean, even back, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, there was clearly the emergence of, leather and feather egotism and whether that was like the abraxas crew or the robot heart crew or stuff being like we're fucking pretty badass we're all we're all woke we're all gorgeous young healthy fit and we are tricked out in the baddest ass fucking gob of our archetypal selves and oh by the way we've become self-aware of how awesome we are mm -hmm. right but at least that was within the transformational culture itself what i noticed this year and again it's i'm sure it's been present and developing i just hadn't seen it and such contrast was now there's a second layer of ego now so, you got folks rolling in saying i want a piece of that but yeah. my ego tendency is actually front country well, you see it with people who drink ayahuasca as like a spiritual boy scout badge yes you know it's like something that they can put on their sleeve like oh i did that you have you haven't done that oh you know and that's the that's the whole purpose of them doing that any type of transformational thing you can harvest as a way to claim some type of superiority yes but then so i think the real question though is is how do we love shake hug mm -hmm. these people back to real awakenedness and 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 really not instead of saying ah and yeah, what well, they're lost like how how can we actually if the transformational festival itself may not be able to do it now yeah and maybe the maybe even some of the some of the medicines, some of the drugs are kind of being marginalized yeah. in, in, a, in a certain way. Like what are the tools that, what is the, what's the next set of tools that we have? Is it just going to be the discomfort that they're going to feel their own suffering that's going to have to bring them back? Yeah. Or is there another way that we can create something that's ultimately undeniable? Yeah. So, so it's a great question. And I mean, sometimes I feel like just burying my head in my hands <laughs> and saying, fuck it, right? And just, um, you know, taking me and everyone I love up into the, you know, backcountry of British Columbia and building an off-the-grid homestead and just letting the whole fucking thing burn to the ground. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> which was actually my plan 20 years ago. And then we had our son. And on the day he was born, I became an optimist again. I was yeah. like, okay, now I'm rooting for us to figure this out. Um, and the very fact that, I mean, back to if Burning Man is arguably one of the most powerful transformational engines ever assembled by humans on this planet. And I think it's, and I think that's, that's an if, and you could put Kumela in India, you could put a handful of other events, but not many. It's a super short list, that yeah. scale and that potency. Um, and you can say, we, and then certainly the concentration of ecstatic techniques assembled within it, music, dance, art, ruggedness, isolation, psychedelics in droves, sexuality, <laughs> all of it. You can say n virtually no transformational culture has ever just bunged all of them together like that um most people most cultures have only ever had one maybe two at max and you're saying okay so if we've thrown the kitchen sink at blowing people out of their egos and and creating communitas and even that has been co-opted by egoic hungry ghost seeking we're fucked fundamentally um and the right <laughs> i mean that's it like that this was our best shot and the fact that you said Aya is showing up a little bit as a merit boy scout merit badge and it's almost like ayahuasca is fucking passe ayahuasca is like 2010 what's now <laughs> is 5meo and everybody's like oh the toad the toad blah 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 right and so right. people are experiencing that as, as the new merit the coolest merit badge of them all and even that isn't cracking people open even though it's obliterating egos pretty much 100% of the time. Um, I, th I think the last the last remaining piece is a radical reevaluation of social structure. Yes. And I think, because I think the tools will ultimately, you know, I think the tools themselves can't be used alone, but I think the tools in combined with your own tribe. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so thinking back to how, why Burning Man was such a powerfully transformative experience for us is because we had we came with the tribe yes and the tribe insulated itself the tribe supported itself the yep. love that we were able to share the transformation that we had the talks we had the intention we did the yep. toasts we made yes. the hugs we had the the words and the inspiration that we had in front of the tree that worked it moved yep. and people even people who are having their own tough time and would have maybe wanted to spiral off another thing the strength of the group brought them all back in so that it held the container for everybody. Yeah. And I think that is really the only hope. I think at this point, we have to change this solipsistic nuclear family, me me and my wife in one home, mm -hmm. and that's all we ever have. Maybe we see our friends every once in a while, but we don't really have time and we're exhausted uh -huh. and we're stressed. And uh, you know, maybe we'll go out on the weekend. We gotta reevaluate all that. And we gotta get back to some more modern tribal identity where you have a clan of people that holds you accountable that you do and then the rituals will work again you know yes. when the group brings that brings that intention forward and you're part of that group then i think all the tools will work yeah and and my back to your your kind of initial question of like how might we shift this steer this you know uh you know uh in some some respects redeem it or you know um if, and of course, obviously anybody engaged in full spiritual bypassing will go, oh, you're so deluded. There's nothing that needs redeeming. Everything's perfect and unfolding. And you're like, yes, and, right? Yes, and, <laughs> maybe. Um, but yeah, I think it's twofold. One is what you just described, which is rituals. So all ecstatic techniques up until the last 50 years have been highly encoded and encultured and with checks and balances. So the idea is not, I get to do this rad shit anytime I want for as long mm -hmm. as I want, as often as I want, regardless of what I'm, taking out of it it was you have an experience a rite of passage when you come of age in your late teens you have a rite of passage when you're married a rite of passage when you become a warrior a rite of passage when you die a rite of passage all the way through and access to those techniques of ecstasy was closely circumscribed and overseen within cultural guidelines yeah here's what it's for here's what we here's what is you're expected to get from it and here's your integration and increased responsibility as you're, as you're brought back into culture on the other side of that rite of passage, which none of that exists these days. So back to your identity politics and the problems with the alt-left and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff, which is if my process and my experiences are sacrosanct, basically they're at the top of the mountain, there's nothing bigger than me that I defer to or acknowledge, we're hosed. Yeah. And, and, and I think, and again, it's just, it is just hungry ghosts on steroids now um, versus any... Um, any escaping of those shackles. But the flip side is like also because we were up in the mountains of Utah and then straight to Burning Man, like we also missed the second half of Game of Thrones, right? So we came home, right? And we watched the the tag end of that season. Mm -hmm. And 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 as I was trying to articulate the problem with this identity politics, right? Which is literally antithetical 
to the path of ecstasis and wholeness and collective awareness and love, yeah. um, I was like, oh shit, this, this is Jon Snow or Cersei, right? I mean, the notion of winter's coming, motherfuckers. And either we realize that the old game of Westeros, right, is an old game. I mean, in front, Jamie Lannister kind of embodied it. It's like, this is no longer about our houses. Yeah. This is about the living and the dead, right? And that moment is, I think, kind of where we are, and if not immediately right now, because, I mean, we spent some time with some of the folks that are deeply involved in assessing existential threats to the world right now, mm -hmm. right? And it was a conversation you and I had sure. before, before August, right? Yep. And those guys a month ago were saying, according to their best calculations, it's 96 months until we are literally at, does humanity survive the century or not? Which is now 95 months. And I, and on in between Flow Camp in Utah and Burning Man, I stopped in Squaw Valley to speak at a, a sustainability conference. And David Suzuki, who's a leading professor and kind of ecological sustainability guy, um, actually he he said something comparable. He said everyone I'm talking to in the ecological space, and this and this is just in the ecological space, not in the AI, not in the asymmetrical threats, not in bioterror, not in CRISPR gene editing, not in a thousand other places we can blow ourselves up. Just in ecology, he said the leading experts I'm talking to give us three to four years and that those actions that we take or don't take in the next three to four years will determine the next century. So either way we look at it, if, and I think the odds are exceptionally high, winter is coming and we choose not to set aside our personal pain and our identity politics, we're all going to be experiencing an exponential world of hurt, right? So we can quibble, we can quibble, but the white walkers are coming. Yep. And that I think is ultimately like, if we don't figure this shit out, it is going to get figured out for us. And my only, my concern, which I think is I mean, among many, <laughs> starting with like, do we ever, do we actually even make it is um, given, if we can't even get our shit straight before the storm comes, are we, are we going to be able to maintain coherence when things actually start getting hairy? I don't know if anybody's ever got their shit straight before the storm. It almost always takes the storm to really, really, truly got, I mean, inspiration oh. or desperation, right? That's what people, that's what motivates people. And we wish that it was inspiration that could really move the masses, mm -hmm. but it's not. Usually it's desperation and there will be some who make it, some who don't, but that will activate the largest number of people. So I think it's going to have to be the combination of these inspirational techniques, combination of a reevaluation of community and tribe, mm -hmm. and the White Walkers just got a motherfucking blue fire breathing dragon yeah. and they're oh, coming shit. through the wall. <laughs> like it was already you know? hairy enough. <laughs> yeah. you know? And they're coming through the wall, and now we got to figure some shit out. And, yes. and I think that's ultimately maybe what's necessary. Maybe all of these things are exactly mm -hmm. what we need. We needed the alt left to go extreme, we needed Trump to go extreme, we needed everybody. To create such madness that ultimately that though i mean that is the conduit for the white walkers that's mm -hmm. what allows all of these things to kind of come through this non-rational separatism thinking mm -hmm. you know then we needed that and that's the only hope that we actually have and so yeah. in that way we can look out at winter and say winter's coming thank god it's about time because we need to do something mm -hmm. you know what i mean and and maybe that's the maybe that's the optimistic way to look at it. Yeah, and 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 it might even just be what is actually happening. So yeah. like our specific philosophical orientation to it is almost secondary. Like if it's what's going down, and then you get to the question of like Yankee ingenuity versus like the. I mean, I think it, it's a it's a widely critiqued sociological thesis, but fundamentally like the latitude phenomenon that folks in the tropics because they've never had to prepare for winter. Right, like indigenous tribes and cultures, et cetera, were just fundamentally less industrious. They didn't need to. Yeah. They didn't need to figure out clothing, shelter, heat, all these kinds of things, right? Storage of food, because it was always just living in the living in Eden versus kind of you know, good old fashioned Yankee ingenuity of like we actually mm -hmm. have to figure shit out because there's times of there's times of lean and there's times of plenty in our life. Um I think my my sense is, is yeah, like public transit is on point in Scandinavia. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, it is not on point in you know yeah. the Caribbean. Yeah, <laughs> and it, of, of course, like and historically, a thousand and other confounding factors and the legacies of colonialism, of and blah blah blah. But you know, like that notion of when we can just kick it and get away with being sloppy. And I would say, I would say, I noticed that in hippie culture, like the difference between like and even just going to dead shows out west, right? Colorado hippies significantly more on point than California hippies. 
Yeah. You know, because yeah. if you lived in Colorado, you clearly weren't living on the flats. You were living in the mountains. A disproportionate number of them had wilderness medicine training, avalanche training. They actually were like, the thing we love to do can kill us. Yeah. And therefore we've trained our games a bit versus I just camp out on the beach, right? Smoking weed and going surfing. When I think comfort is, good. comfort is the worst thing that's ever happened to our world. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it's on everybody now maybe maybe large external discomfort is coming and that will force this action but those who are going to be ready are pushing themselves into discomfort frequently and regularly through the plants through mm -hmm. physical you know enduring physical conditions through regular wim hof practice you know mm -hmm. dip yourself in the fucking ice bath do the breaths when they're uncomfortable put yourself in emotionally challenging situations see what you're made of when every part of you wants to break and you want to cry under your table you know get to that point and then, then you'll be ready for when winter comes. Then you're that person that can lead when everything else is in chaos. Yeah, and that to me is like that's an interesting cultural thread because I was I think we might did we, did we talk about like three hundred and, and like the movie? I don't think so. Okay, so I I was I mean I never saw it when it came out, and then I was just bored on a plane six months ago, and mm -hmm. I watched it, and I was like, oh, a what a wild like you know crypto patriotic post 9-11 like against is like clash of civilizations kind of battle it is like the subtext is all just plain but then i realized oh look at crossfit culture look at spartans and tough mutters and that whole thing <clears throat> all the way into what you're doing here at on it mm -hmm. right into joe and, and you know and, and and that community all this kind of stuff and you're like oh there's a bunch of people not all of whom overlap with psychedelic donut culture. Um, some of them are coming out of the military space, some of them are coming out of the first responder and firefighter space, some of them are just coming out like, I want more. But in some respects, like intuitively, because I think I remember reading an outside magazine, some, it, was, it was somebody in the CrossFit organization saying, oh, we didn't know what we were training for until obstacle course racing came. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, <laughs> that's like, and that was neat. That was its little moment, right? It yeah, had yeah, three yeah. years or so of, of buzz. But that notion of, we've been training intuitively we don't know what it's for yeah right but we're waiting we're kind of like locked and loaded and waiting and clearly that's clearly happening on the on the alt-right as well yeah right the preppers and and you know and the kind of bannon forth turning all that kind of stuff like i think it's a difference between external preparation and internal preparation though, yes right preppers are externally preparing you know so yeah. that they have food supplies but have they internally prepared themselves for how they're going to live in a fucking hole for three years yeah. without going crazy and killing each other? You know, like yeah, exactly. maybe they, they haven't done that internal work. They've externalized their interiority in shadow projection of the other. Yep. Right. So, so they are not doing it. They've just, they've just outsourced it to brown <laughs> folks right? um, and, and then created culture wars. But yeah. you're right. And I, and I would, I mean, actually, you know, like hats off to what you guys are doing and what you're representing, which is kind of that then overlap of saying, let us engage in physical training. Let us, let us um, valorize suffering and adversity in, in service of strength. And oh, by the way, let's combine that with balls out interior development. Mm -hmm. um, to me, that's actually the most encouraging. Like the space you're in is, the, is, is, is one of the ones that gives me some of the most hope that somebody is fucking doing a fully dimensioned developmental yeah, approach. I think, that's the, I think that's the only way. And I love that prepper analogy. I hadn't never thought of that before, but we mm -hmm. all need to be doomsday preppers, but mm -hmm. not in the way of 500 pounds of beef jerky and all the cans of cream corn that you can possibly fit yeah. in a hovel. We need yeah. to be internal doomsday preppers, like mm -hmm. all of the skills that you potentially need emotionally, psychologically, socially, the group that you can rely on, all of these things you know, because we don't know what fucking threat's going to come and we don't know yeah. how it's going to happen. We don't know which one, one of the myriad ways it'll come. And guess what? Even if there is no big threat, all of these micro ones that, you know, would maybe shatter your old self won't shatter your new self if you start yeah. to do that work. These yeah. things that would break you only cause you to bend and come back stronger. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the, that's the name of the game. So whether it's a big macro event or just all of the micro events, that will personally you will personally encounter fucking be a be a prepper yeah and 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 three things that i can sort of use to wrap my head around that because people often just like get into like cognitive freeze when faced with that they're like wait a second if there's a structural break coming where business is no longer even remotely as usual how do i continue optimizing my life within the existing game or don't i 
right? And to leave the game prematurely seems stupid and foolish. And then you're like Seventh Day Adventist sitting on your roof waiting for the fuck, you know, right, right, waiting for the rapture. Yeah. Or I'm the last man standing, and, and I'm like the dude in Pompeii who's turned to ash reading the morning newspaper. You know, I don't want to be either of those guys. Yeah. Right. And so my my sense would be is is a you know good old Pareto split. What's the eighty twenty? What is the twenty percent of actual physical, practical, real world preparation I could do that's going to absolve me of eighty percent of suffering? Yeah. And coming from like mountaineering, backcountry guiding, that kind of stuff, it's really straightforward. It's like, do you have reliable power? Do you have the access to water and a sustainable food supply and communications? And if you can just take care of the basics of that in your life, you don't need to go full fucking Idaho nut job, right? (laughs) You can say, hey, we have done the common sense logical thing. And that could just be for a hurricane event, a weather event, or it could be for systemic social collapse. Um, The uh, the other is... um, Amory Levins at the Rocky Mountain Institute, who's like one of the original godfathers of sustainability, did all this stuff for the DOD, for Walmart, for all this kind of stuff. And he's got his home, which is an earthship up in the mountains in Aspen. And it's like at 8,600 feet and he grows bananas inside. And his, and his model, and he's just kind of one of these wild ass savants. I mean, he's off the charts as far as his creativity and innovation. But his, his notion is drawbridging. Build your castle and have a drawbridge that engages the world as it is. And if you need to, you can crank that fucker up, right? When things get hairy, but you, you get to take those precautions, but you don't absent yourself from the larger project. Right. Um, but you can rest assured that, hey, if we get to the 11th hour, I have covered for that as well, which lets me actually play full out for the, for the collective much longer without having to get distracted. And, and the final one is just, is my writing partner, Stephen Collar. Um, whenever we were writing Stephen Stealing Fire, he would, he repeatedly said, and it was clearly it's something he's leaned on in his career as a writer, which is like the answer is always in the text, right? And so if everything we've just discussed, like let's go all the way back to the Argon Eclipse, to the potential moral declare or decline of, of, of Burning Man and the rise of multi-layered egotism, both in the core crew, like Leather and Feathers were just so awesome. We just get lost in our own reflections and also the outside seekers who have experienced it as an object and want to come in and get their peace. Um, we might say, okay, well, what's, what's actually happening? And, and to me, the place is an element of, of what could be a future that works is what's already happening, which is Burning Man DNA has now rolled out into all these additional festivals, several of which are going beyond temporary leave no trace into permanent leave, leave, like leave our mark, make our mark. So mm-hmm. go from leave no trace to make our mark. And you see that with Boomfest in Portugal, right? They own the land there every other year. So they have a fallow year, which I think is genius. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also continually building out permaculture, sustainability, gardens, solar power, all these things and saying, this is who we are now, just like, like the Lakota or any Plains tribe back in the day, they would get together in the times of plenty right? Where the, gra- the, the, you know, the, the buffalo grass was high and you could feed all your horses and everything was lush and there was tons of bison to hunt. And you get together in 50,000, 100,000 groups of people and throw down. Yeah. This is who we are. This is when we mate, like we, we marry, we plan war councils, we tell our sacred stories, we reaffirm our collective identity, and then we disperse as the biomass and energy, available energy through the year gets scanter all the way from tribes to bands to families up living up some little creek next to the willows, right? And then we reconvene. So that kind of ebb and flow based on available energy um, and the idea of this DNA now spreading bioregionally so that you have permanent, you know, permanent and flexibly attended populations around these things that become increasingly, back to the drawbridging idea, increasingly self-sufficient sustainability projects. Now, worst case scenario, we've all just got cool hobbies and awesome places to go (laughs) hang, right? But if needed, those become lifeboats for a future and maybe even star ox, you know, maybe we're even like gathering the folks that are going to be able to make a transition to an inflection point in consciousness and culture. We can't honestly predict or plan for from this side of it. Sounds like the fucking battle plan to me. (laughs) That sounds it. Do the internal work, do the external work, do it all, find your tribe, make sure that you have a community that is, you know, no one, even if you could survive alone, Mm -hmm. is it really worth it? You know, like, we got it. We got to bring people with us. Like we got to find those that are our chosen family, take yeah. them into ritual with you, take them into battle with mm-hmm. you, you know, however that looks, whether it's your adventure races or whether it's mm-hmm. your ayahuasca ceremony or whether it's your burning man or whatever, go 
to these ecstatic experiences with your tribe. Get those bonds stronger. Find out what love really is without possession, without ego. See them all as you living that different life. Like mm-hmm. really see them as that. And when half of your group you know, fractures, don't talk shit about the other half to make you mm-hmm. feel better and try and avoid those common traps that we all find ourselves in to, to make ourselves belong. The dark side of tribalism, which is saying we are this and everybody else is shit. You know, find the good side, the heart side of that. And then, you know, look out into that storm and say, all right, motherfucker, do your worst. Like, I've done my best. I've done my piece. I've lived in a way that if it is my day to die, yes. today is a good motherfucking day to die. Because yeah. I'm going to do it with my brothers and my sisters and my family. And I'm going to live my life and I've prepared the best I can. So let's go. Yeah. Hell yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, I, I, th- I think that that's... Um... That's fundamentally it, is that we have been so um, absolved from the notion of our mortality and what does it mean to today's a good day to die? Like that's not a, that's not a, a sentimental death wish, right? I mean, that is a warrior's clarity, yeah. which is my house is in order. Yeah. And, and the question- And is, I've lived, I've fucking lived so much. I've tasted, I've fucking kissed the mouth of a lover that I was- fucking insanely mad and enraptured with i've smelled all of the foods and the and the sweet grass blowing in the breeze and Mm -hmm. gone out of my mind on the peyote and hiked and hunted and fucking danced with my brothers and done all the things yeah and so that when when that moment comes you can smile and go fuck yeah yeah life was good Exactly. And, and like, and like those guys had it sorted. Cause I mean, they did their vision quest and, and yeah. often, not always, but often they were shown the day they died. Right. Yep. And so really they just spend their life living out the middle chapter, which is waiting until the signs are like, Oh shit, this might be the, Oh yeah, this is the day. Yeah. And what they experience is not fear, not avoidance, but actually like jubilation. Like today's the day I die. Hot damn. Now <laughs> let me actually lay down my life right for the greatest good in the greatest number with the greatest honor and i like that's like the look i mean and, and i and i'm bringing up lakota because that was my grad school background i studied with vine deloria jr who was one of their elders and it was at cu so it was like the whole aftermath of the american indian movement and like so politically active academically baller um actually indigenous folks actually reclaiming their own stories so that's where that's where these stories for yep. me come from but one of them was the owl society and the owl society were the, the sash warriors and they would they were the ones who would stake themselves to a sash on the battlefield on a given day and they were like the absolute one of the most revered warrior societies and it basically meant i'm i'm going to drive this stake into the ground i'm going to st- tie myself to it and i'm either today's either the day i die right or i'm lost man standing and the only other outcome to your point about true community is the only way i can be absolved from that dialectic lost man standing or dead dead in glory is to be freed by another member of the owl society right (laughs) so and i think that metaphor is so beautiful right the only thing that lets us off the hook is actually the love and attentiveness of, of our band of brothers and sisters. And, and that notion um, of practicing resurrection, the idea of like, if in those moments of ecstasis, which, and I, I think you can make a clear case, all ecstatic practices are death practices, right? We die to our ego, we die to our story, we die to our pain, we even die to our pleasure, our seeking, our preferences, right? If we can practice dying such that we are absolutely clarified, we know exactly what's on the other side of that ahead of time, mm-hmm. right? And that's true with those Hopkins studies on psilocybin with end-of-life patients and all that kind of, they all report. I feel like I know where I'm going when I die. Yeah, exactly. And that's a unique experience that no one can pre-wire for us or tell yeah. us what it should be. But if you've got that knowledge, that gnosis, right? Then I'm just coming back to live out the middle chapters with joy, with art, with creativity, right? And I'm no longer doing the last mile syndrome of marathon runners, you know, like that, that paradox in physiology where they're yeah. like, why do you run the fucking 26 mile faster than you ran the 23rd, 24th and 25th? What were you holding back? Why didn't you just run faster the whole goddamn time? Because <laughs> like all of us are holding back. Yeah. We're all, because we, we have some existential rate limiter. It's kind of the Wim Hof, right? The idea that my urge to breathe, like breathe, damn it, breathe, damn it, or you're going to die actually kicks in when I've still got 50% oxygen in my system it's so we don't overshoot and fuck it up and just accidentally conk out but like once we know what a hundred percent offering could look like then how much more courageously can we play how much more courageously can you play that's the fucking question yeah how much 
that's up to all of us really right i mean that's the that's the invitation can we live can we live with that full heart can we go out and really live go cross that other cross that bridge to the other side and look back and just fucking just smile and nod and say fuck yeah yeah we can all do that and we we just have to change our stories we have to do the work yeah. we have to we have to find that way but when you do and i feel like man i'm fucking closer than i ever have been and it's yeah i feel like now at 36 i'm entering like the best period of my life and it's not because of the external things it's entirely mm -hmm. due to the internal things yeah you know and that's available for all of us nothing special about me that anybody else couldn't get you know the practices are out there the the everything is available you know we have access to everything you just have to choose you just have to choose to choose to walk the path get the help where you can listen learn put yourself up against resistance yeah it's all available yeah and, and, and even especially for anybody that's a fan of yours or a follower of yours or or anybody who's really like leading the way and articulating a voice you know because we are such clever storytelling monkeys and the hungry ghost thing kicks in like every time we level up like you kill the boss at one level and you fucking like you got you yeah. i defeated my ego at one level and then it just comes back in it's different just, disguise at the next yeah. like the next level of disguise is the act is, is i think the false premise or promise that all of these ecstatic techniques can leave us 100% free of pain, suffering, boredom, right? Any of those things or conflict in our key relationships, et cetera. And, and so that becomes the next one. It's like, oh, I've been living a life of quiet desperation. I've been living like Neo fucking doing my desk job. And then I have the possibility of slinging bullets and learning to fly. Oh, that's gonna be awesome. So now I've just created another, another object that I'm chasing. And that object has become the the illusion or myth of my perfectibility. And if I get there, if I do enough ayahuasca, if I go yeah, to many enough, then you just bring in judgment. You bring in ego again. I yeah. realize that. I mean, I talked about this already. I have my the ego is so slippery. It's as soon as you <sighs> as soon as you think you're defeating it, the ego will, the ego will you know harness the you that thinks it's defeated the ego and then judge itself based upon the criteria of defeating itself. Yes, right. It's the slipperiest motherfucker of all. So you yeah. can't really ever defeat it you just got to love it recognize it and then build up the other thing that is you yeah you know the other part the con the counterbalance of that which is that life which will exist eternally you know the presence the force whatever you want to call that other aspect the non-identity form of yourself that you are that you are when you're in flow or when you're in ecstasis or when yeah. you're in any of these things that thing like whatever that thing is you know just focus on being that thing and don't focus so much on the ego because you'll never really completely feed it. Become aware of it, love it, say, oh, look, there's my ego again, old friend. Mm -hmm. How you doing, old friend? I see you. Yeah, and 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 I mean, again, I'm just thinking on behalf of your listeners, right? Well, I mean, you, you are a unique person. It's why you've been able to do what you've been able to do, right? Um, as far as advice that's actionable for uh, more folks, right? Because it's one thing, like just, oh, remember, you're, you're a part of every, I mean, in fact, there's a great story how much time do we have? Is like a two minute? Two tale? minutes. Oh, then I won't bother. Um, but I would say like a way to inoculate, not just about can I maintain non-dual abiding, you know, God consciousness. Oh, just remember to be that. Like it's fucking easier said than done when I'm getting hit, right? So the the question for me is like, can we actually just bake in like 80% woke, 20% broke? Yeah. And say, hey, 80% woke, like there's this declining ROI on any of these ecstatic experiences. The first two or three, game changing. The next 33, incremental, right? And if I can embrace not the myth, the myth of my own perfectibility, but the idea that I am forever human, fallible and mortal, and there's 20% of life that just is going to be tragic. <laughs> You know, we're born and we die and in between's a bitch. We fucking raise kids that are, you know, if we do it right, leave and never look back. We bury our parents, right? And there's the collective agony of human suffering. If we can embrace that 20% as well as table stakes, then we, then we can get back to service. And if we can say, instead of chasing 80% of the rest of my efforts for my 20% remaining perfectibility, if I can be like, hey man, who else needs a hand? Who is, whose head is just trying to get above water? Let me engage in karma yoga. Let me engage in like the actual ethic of service. Paradoxically, instead of chasing my own happiness, I'm gonna end up much more fulfilled because I mean, that's, that's the hedonic paradox, right? Chasing happiness doesn't make us happy. Service tends to, the helper's high and everything else. And by the way, the world needs it and us. And isn't that not our payback? for being the most blessed humans who have ever lived, including all the identity politics fuckers, like all that victim identity stuff, 
It's like, if we're having a conversation about post-colonial, post-modern identity politics, and I need to fucking wear a hair shirt and say, I'm cisgendered, heteronormative, please forgive me, <laughs> right? Um, we're all one percenters. In the arc of human history, anybody who is, on, who is flaming someone else on social media via their $500 smartphone is a one percenter. Yeah. No matter what they think, as far as how hard they've had it done by or to. And so that notion of, can we all just grow up, get on with it, take the hit as a gift and, and roll our moments of, you know, passing illumination into abiding light via helping other fellow humans figure shit out. To me, that I'd love to see. I'd love to see an ethic of service in addition to the pursuit of ecstasis. Powerful, Jamie Wheel. You brought it, as always, my friend. <laughs> that was fucking epic. Where can people find you if they want more? Uh, flowgenomeproject.com. Uh, and we're doing tons of like in-person programs and trainings ranging from backcountry stuff to flow camp, like with flow dojos and fun immersive trainings and basically looking to scale an open source operating system uh, for next level consciousness and culture. So we're going to do our part. You guys are doing your part at Onnit. Hell yeah. Let's rock it. Let's do it. Fucking have fun, people. Life is so good. Have fun. <laughs> have fun. Kiss somebody. Love somebody. Dance. Just do some fun. Enjoy yourself. Much love. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, the best way you can support the podcast is to subscribe and leave some comments. We love hearing from you and seeing what you think. Also, for anyone interested in any of the Onnit products, go check out onnit.com slash Aubrey. Man, I use this stuff every day. There's all kinds of tools for human optimization available for you. If you want to keep it simple, check out the Total Primate Care Packs. It's just a day pack and a night pack. has all our greatest hits. The other thing that I just don't go anywhere without is the Total Gut Health Pack. It has prebiotics, probiotics, enzymes, HCL. It's got really everything you need to optimize your gut health. And if your gut is right, you know, as Napoleon said, an army marches on its stomach. If your gut's right, everything else in your life is going to be right as well. So check that out if you can, onnit.com slash Aubrey. And thank you again. I love you guys.